Well, we all watched Lady of the Lake last night. It was such a beautiful episode and we'll be discussing it during this podcast. Hello, thanks for joining me. You're listening to the official ABC Once Upon a Time podcast and I'm your host, Estelle McGecky, and I'm joined by the wonderful Adam Horowitz and Eddie Kitsis, the creators and executive producers of Once. Hello. Hey. It really was a heart-wrenching episode last night, especially the scenes between Snow, Charming and Ruth. But let's get to that in a little bit. First, we'll start at the top of the episode with Cora. Snow turns to Emma and directly warns her about talking to Cora, but Emma wants to hear her out. And she actually gives away vital information to Cora. Was Emma being strategic or naive? I think in that moment, Emma is new to the law of the land, so to speak. And I think Emma comes in with, you know, a lot of confidence that she survived her whole life relying on herself and was a bail bonds person and was somebody who can tell when somebody's lying. So she feels like I'm going to try and extract information out of this woman. If this woman is in jail with me, perhaps we're aligned. She doesn't have the sense of history that I think Snow White brings to it. When Milan says to Aurora, tread carefully, it's dangerous to confuse vengeance with justice. This one line tells us so much about Milan's character and Aurora reveals a great deal about hers by hiding the knife. What I find interesting about Mulan is, you know, so far we've seen that she's somewhat spiritual and we see that she has a really strong code of honor. You know, a lot of people have noticed that perhaps in the premiere episode, it is pretty obvious that Mulan has feelings for Philip. But to me, it takes a lot of strength and honor and a moral code to say, you're my friend and I may be in love with you, but you are in love with someone else. Let me help you find your happiness. And I think that even now with Philip gone, she is watching over Aurora. She's kind of being a big sister to her. And I think that she's saying, be patient. Let's find out what's happening. And I think Aurora is a little headstrong. I think she's a little petulant there. And Milan has more experience like just in this land and much more attuned with what's going on. So we're starting to see a relationship develop between the two of them where, yeah, it's, it's slightly antagonistic, but it's also trying to be helpful. And in a lot of ways it mirrors what's going on with Mary Margaret and Emma in that Emma has always felt like she was the big sister and she can handle herself and now she's in a new world where Mary Margaret is not the quiet school teacher of Storybrooke, but she is the badass Snow White who can take care of herself and knows about fighting ogres and eating chimera. And so there's kind of an interesting parallel between the four of them. King George curses Snow to be childless just as his wife was cursed. But isn't his anger misdirected? Shouldn't he be seeking the person responsible for his wife's curse? Or is his curse on Snow simply to get back at Charming? We don't know what he did to the person who did that to his wife because that happened a long time ago, so heaven help them. But as far as he's concerned, that's the most pain I think that character has ever felt in his life. And he hates Charming so much that he wants him to feel that. He wants to make him suffer. Because it took him a long time to recover from the pain of that curse. And he finally did with his son, Prince James. And when that was taken from him, he blames Charming and Snow, and now this is where his vengeance must go. The original Prince Charming had a twin brother, and that twin brother was separated from birth because Ruth made a deal with Rumpelstiltskin to save the farm, and the brother went off to live with King George and live as his only son. And it wasn't until he was dead that this happened. When King George made the deal with Rumpelstiltskin to get 
a son, and one of the twins was taken, Prince James, and he raised him as his own. He loved him as though he were his biological son. I mean, that love was real and true and strong, and when he lost that son, he had finally thought he had defeated that curse on his wife, and then he is once again finds himself suffering, and now the only place to place his rage is on Snow and Charming. And we see a glimpse of him watching Charming and Henry at the very end. Yeah, He's in Storybrooke. We saw that last year. So he's out there, and what he's up to is yet to come. It looks to me like he still has vengeance on his mind. Yeah, it was very clear. Just in that one shot, no dialogue. Yeah. No, he wasn't eating ice cream in the car. <laughs> he was not. He was not smiling. Emma doesn't quite understand what she's facing in fairytale land. She's confident when she first arrives. You know, she even killed a dragon not too long ago. And she does have a gun with her, but it is pretty clear that the tables are turned here. And as you said before, badass with a bow and arrow, Snow, doesn't really need her kind of protection. Yeah, I mean, for us, that's, you know, one of the things we loved about the curse breaking is people get to remember who they were and who Snow was, was a really strong person. And so now that they're in fairy tale, she, this is her daughter and she's going to protect her daughter. And I think Emma, you know, what's interesting is never had anybody really look out for her. So she's not used to dealing with that. She doesn't realize that Snow is doing it as a mother trying to protect her daughter. She sees it as Snow is saying, you're useless here and you're you can't handle this. She seems to have an entire arc. After Snow shoots the ogre, it seems as though Emma has a major realisation. Before this, she's only known the storybook Mary Margaret, but now she's seeing Snow on her home turf, and I'd imagine it's quite a shock. Yeah, I mean, absolutely it's a shock, and I think part of the fun for us in the entire episode was exploring that relationship, watching Emma's face as she was actually in Fairytale Land, eating Chimera, meeting someone named Lancelot, and then going to their actual place where she was born and seeing what her life was supposed to be. And what was interesting is she was seeing the life that she should have had, which was taken from her, but in the same respect, I think she was enlightened to what Snow White gave up and the life that she had for her. The emotional kind of key to the episode for us is when she's standing in what was once the nursery and looking around and seeing where she was going to grow up. And it's the mixture of loss that she feels and the loss she finally realizes is her mother feels that brings the characters closer together. In the nursery, Snow says to Emma, you had to put Henry first. Emma seems to have an emotional breakthrough right in that scene. She parallels Snow's choices to hers. And I'd love it if you could talk to us about what Emma's going through, specifically in that scene, because it is a major pivotal point. It's a combination of so many things in Emma's life. Emma gave up Henry and has all these incredibly complicated feelings about that, and then coming back into his life and trying to make a relationship with him and now is realizing there's so much parallel between what she did, what her mother did, and what she's feeling and what Henry probably feels about her and all that stuff folds in on itself and it is overwhelming. But what she is realizing is she's coming to an understanding about her parents really for the first time. I think another important thing is what Emma's realizing is She's been looking at it through the prism of, my parents gave me up, I grew up alone to break this curse, but she realizes her mom missed everything. So this nursery was for a woman who was excited about having a child who literally got two minutes with her. She never got to experience the nursery. She never got to see her walk. All the first moments that you usually get as a parent with your child, and Emma lost a lot of those with Henry, but at least she has Henry at 10, and Snow gets Emma at 28. So I think that they come to a, a real understanding there, and I think the other interesting thing is Emma, her whole life has been somebody who 
has closed people off because no one has ever looked out or put her first. And in this moment, she realizes that's what Snow is doing. And I think that's a big moment when Snow hugs her and says, get used to it. And look, you know, nurseries are as much for parents as they are for kids. And it's an expression of love from a parent to a child to create this place for them. And Emma is realizing that and experiencing that in a real visceral way in that scene. I think it's different Snow telling her that she wishes that she'd been there versus the physicality of actually being in the environment. Yeah. Yep. When Emma's offering her jacket to Aurora, Emma refers to Snow as her mother. And for the first time, we feel as though the dynamic of that mother-daughter relationship is being established. It's a hard thing to wrap your head around that this person who is the same age of you is your mother, but I think in that moment where Snow risked her own life to save her with the ogre is when she started to really realize what's happening. And I think, you know, when she hands the jacket to Aurora, it's almost in that moment where Emma still hasn't fully grasped what Snow's doing for her and she feels useless. And so she feels like she's a kindred spirit with Aurora who has a lot of energy and isn't sure where to put it. It's an olive branch and it's like, I know how you feel, kid. There are so many moments when Ruth nurtures Snow. She says everything you'd want a mother to say. She really is the definition of selfless. What's interesting for us is that Snow lost her mother at a young age. So as she said, I wouldn't even know how to be one because she never had one. And Ruth is being a mother to her. You know, really one of the things is last year in episode six, Ruth tried to get Charming to marry Abigail. And she regretted that decision and she regretted giving up her child. And I think she realized at the end of the day, no matter how hard life is, and no matter how many curveballs you get, that you shouldn't give up on those things. And she regrets that she didn't put her son's happiness first, and that's not going to happen anymore. In a lot of ways, she realizes my son went off, he found the person he loved, I was already willing to give up my life, and if that means that I have to do it one more time so that they can have a child and have a future together, that's what I'll do. Because that is a lot of the theme of the episode, which is parents sacrificing their happiness for their children. It's an episode that's very much about mothers and daughters. And as far as Snow goes, we haven't really explored her feelings about her mother until now. And we've touched on it a little bit. The scenes with Ruth really helped to hit home that while Snow experiences all this loss and not having had to watch Emma grow up and now having the struggles with this new relationship, in the past we see Snow and we get this insight into her where we see, oh wait, she never had a mother herself, which adds another layer to the relationship we're seeing in the present day with Snow and Emma. Lancelot is actually duped by King George earlier in the episode and then redeemed in saving Snow from the no babies curse. But I'm sure everyone is wondering, did Cora really kill Lancelot? That is a uh, mystery question. that I hope gets answered. Yeah. Because I know that I haven't seen him anywhere. If it doesn't get answered, you guys know who to complain to. <laughs> us? Yes. Yes, us. <laughs> he could be dead, I don't know. But I do know there's a story to be told in that how does the most noble of all knights from the round table itself become a gun for hire, or sword for hire, I would say, in this world. Even Snow refers to him as a disgraced round yes. table yeah. knight. When it was revealed in the nursery that Cora was posing as Lancelot, I'm sure everyone wanted to watch the episode from the beginning again to look for those imposter nuances. Yes. If you choose to look back at those early scenes, and if you look at the dinner scene in particular, you can see Lancelot registering a certain amount of interest when he hears about Snow's belief that she can find a way back. And then what plays 
in the first viewing as his concern for Snow's safety, I think if you took another look, would also play as his intrigue into the idea that there might be a way back to our world and that asking Snow to take Mulan with him and to allow Snow to go on this journey actually had another purpose. And then it wasn't just about him worried about her safety. It was actually Cora plotting. She's very sneaky. She very sneaky. Henry has a really interesting thread through this episode as well. In fact, these first three episodes, I feel like it's building to this one. He's so desperate to be included. But during this episode, he's still finding it difficult to be heard. Yeah. In the scene with Jefferson down at the docks, Henry implores Jefferson to reconnect with his daughter. It's actually a really beautiful insight that he has into Jefferson's situation. And... It's really interesting when he says to him, anything's better than nothing, not knowing is the worst. Can you talk about the parallel Henry draws between Jefferson's daughter and his own life? Well, I think that he sees in Jefferson's relationship with his daughter something he can really relate to, which is that he knows what it's like to not have a parent around and what that feels like. And that's something he can provide Jefferson because Jefferson has the pain of wanting to be with his daughter and having watched her all those years during the curse from his house. But Henry really knows what it feels like on the other end. And while Jefferson feels like he's sparing her a certain amount of pain, Henry understands that the not knowing about your parents and wondering can be painful too. And I think there's an interesting, even a subtext below that, which is Henry doesn't know where his mom is, and he wants to believe that his mom is fighting to get back to him. And the fact that Jefferson is so worried that his daughter would be mad at him and that he's not even trying angers Henry in a way as well. I thought he was quite brave in the face of Jefferson having that rage moment. He still challenges him back. Yeah, he's a tough little kid. And I think it's hard for Henry because everyone for an entire year told him he was crazy. And his mom even sent him to a shrink knowing that he was right. And then when the curse broke, this isn't what he pictured. He didn't think it would be this. He would be back in Storybrooke. And he ends up acting out a lot. He skips school, he lies to Regina, steals her keys, goes to the crypt, and he almost lets the Vipers loose. But Grandpa Charming saves him. And for the first time, Charming is really seeing Henry at the end of this episode. And we witness the beginning of their bond, especially in those last couple of scenes where he's bought the wooden swords. It's interesting because I think in that moment when he says it wasn't supposed to be like this, I thought I would be back there riding horses, being a knight, fighting with swords. Charming has so much on his mind that he forgot about Henry's point of view because he was a father for 28 minutes. And, you know, what's also interesting is that he always thought he was going to be having a a boy, if you go back and look at the pilot. So I think it was in that moment when he realized what Henry was doing, he realized he had to put Henry first, and he had to understand this boy's point of view, that even though everything he was doing was to make this, this child happy, he needed to include him in on it. And I think in a lot of ways, he probably saw some of his own spirit in there. Okay, we've got a few Facebook questions for you. Rondalyn Jackson asks, how was the Blue Fairy's happiness taken from her in Storybrooke, especially since she's helping people? What you saw last year was that they were made nuns in a convent that is constantly under the thumb of Mr. Gold's whims. For the Blue Fairy, her happiness is taken away in the sense that her magic was taken away and her wings were taken away. And a fairy without wings and a fairy without dust is not as helpful. But also, the fairies, and the Blue Fairy in particular, help people and they do good for people. And her happiness, well, yes, she's a nun and trying to do good, the curse for her is the failure to do good, which is as much as she tries to help anyone in Storybrooke during the curse. 
She couldn't. People were suffering all those years. So it's that frustration of wanting to do good but not being able to, which was her curse. Debbie Schechter asks, during the season, are Snow and Charming going to learn that Geppetto, the Blue Fairy, and Jiminy Cricket misled them about the wardrobe and that Snow or Charming could have accompanied Emma? That is a very good question, and uh, it would be very interesting to see how they would react toward it because it obviously changed a lot of lives. And it's also interesting is how much August has affected Emma's life in a really, really negative way. This next one's from Nicole Sorter. The original story of Rumpelstiltskin has him striking a deal with a miller who promises a king his daughter who can spin straw to gold. Regina's mother is the daughter of a miller and she also tells Regina the deals I've had to make. Right. So was Cora also promised to a king? What an incredible coincidence. That is a very, very, very <laughs> perceptive question and it does feel like Gold and Cora have some sort of history together because I think in episode two, it looked to me like Rumpelstiltskin was trying to get payback on Cora and I think he even said, I knew you when you were younger. So it definitely alluded to that being their history. It's really creepy when Cora reappears in the nursery and sweeps up the wardrobe ashes. I'm sure she's up to something. Can you give the special podcast fans a teaser for next week? That wardrobe was very important to Snow and Emma. It was also important to, to Cora. So she didn't just sweep them up for a collection of trinkets that she has. Well, I think the other thing you have to remember is that this was the last enchanted tree that was fashioned into a portal that could literally bring them to this land. And it's the strongest of all good magic. So for some reason, those ashes still sparkled. So she knows something we don't. Eddie and Adam, thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you all who have chosen to listen to us talk yet again. And thanks for watching the show. As always, we are doing it for you. So please keep watching. Yes, listeners, thank you. And if you'd like to be a part of our next session, please add your question to our podcast post on the Once Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Once ABC. And join us next week and tune in to Once Upon a Time, Sundays, 8, 7 Central on ABC and available the following day at abc.com. 